There's a pretty nice view from Mountain View. I said Kathleen MacArthur to her friend Judith Wright on a bright summer's day. And I don't know about you, but my greatest fears are that someone will take all this beauty away. So let's fight, oh let's fight for it, I say. Little Fish, Part One, a lunch hour theatre script by Kathleen MacArthur. The old woman of the sea is disturbed. This old salt has lived by the sea for so long, her skin is like tanned wobbegong, and her eyes have faded to the paleness of a winter sky. She knows the edge of the sea is a strange and beautiful place and holds a strong maternal protectiveness toward it. Now whoever identifies with something, anything at all, be it the land or the sea, to see their own world being treated badly or threatened in any way is, quite understandably, disturbing. When the old woman's eyes focused on the sea, her mind soared into the deep water and marvelled at its teeming wildlife. Would it be too extreme to see fish as wildlife? Isn't that carrying this conservation thing too far? Not just the glamorous big fish like the black and blue marlin, but the little fish too. Brim, Flathead, Whiting, John Dory, Mullet and Mangrove Jack. The natural balance of life in the sea is finely tuned. Everything is interconnected and dependent on the whole for existence. From the tiniest diatom to the largest blue whale, they all have a place and a purpose. So what about even something so small? What about Penelia, the water flea who biologists monitor to assess changes in the water environment? Our small creatures under the sea play a major role, although we are not there to watch them ourselves. It is a simple fact, although seemingly little understood, that when you dredge up the seabed, you bulldoze the home of all these little fish and sea creatures without even knowing what their role is in the whole show. While that seems obvious with the whales, dolphins and dugongs, those fashionable mammals of the sea, how could little fish assume an importance of their own? The old woman of the sea needed to get her message out to the world before it was too late, before her sea became a lifeless desert. So she took up her knitting to think about it. There really was no choice. The sea was too large, and saving the sea would require the resources of both the World Wildlife Fund and the International Union for the conservation of nature. Perhaps if it were the sea on the French Riviera, or Acapulco, or Tahiti, where the rich and the famous play, it might be possible. But who would care about our little backwater or our insignificant waterway, our very own Pumicestone Passage? The old woman of the sea's challenge was to find a way to convince Caloundra's locals that they had to protect the sea before it was lost to them forever. The old woman of the sea had a problem. 
she needed to make her local estuary a fashionable cause. I must make them see. Those very people who cannot see the treasure that lies in front of them. Their own magical world, wild and free. The shallow waters of estuaries mean different things to different people. To some, they are a navigational nuisance. To others, more interested in the life around them, the earth watchers, it holds so much to see, to wonder. An integral part of an important ecosystem which cannot be seen apart from the rest of the system. Because one person sees these waters this way and others see them that, when one demands improvement, the other sees it as destruction. Get the resources. Go ahead with the dredge. Push up the land values. Build the rock walls. Economic benefits abound. What about the wildlife? Stop dredging the banks. Protect the dunes. Save the sea life. Ratbags hinder the development of this great country of ours. Greenies, commos and tree huggers that don't understand the value of progress. The developers wined and dined their supporters, flashing brightly coloured artistic plans about. The quiet ones took themselves out in their canoes for another loving look into their world of wonder. How will future generations view us for dredging and building rock walls across the sea? Will they forgive us for irrevocably altering an environment that is as much theirs as ours? As our towns grow more crowded, people need wilderness, or if not real wilderness, which could fill them with strange fears, but an environment that seems like wilderness to contrast their concrete jungle. They do not want more concrete, but just a place to sit on the grass in the shade of a tree or lie on the sand in full sunlight. To throw a line into the water, not to catch a fish, but just because it's enough to know the little fish are there. Crew are asleep and the ocean's at rest And I'm singing this song to the one I love best Yo ho, little fishy, don't cry, don't cry Yo ho, little fishy, don't cry, don't cry There are fish in the sea, there's no doubt about it Just to speak as the ones that have air come out of it Yo ho, little fishy, don't cry, don't cry Yo ho, little fishy, don't cry, don't cry Click go her needles and clickety-clack her thoughts She set her mind to finding a way to make the sea a fashionable cause. First, she had a story to pen in a letter to two of her grandchildren far away. My sweet darlings, do you remember a time when you visited me here by the sea, when you were very small then, and you may have forgotten? So here is my letter to remind you. Our books were filled with stories about kangaroos and koalas, cockatoos and kookaburras. But very few were written about little fish. But fish have their stories too, although it's harder to watch them when they live hidden in the sea. We watched the old fishermen in their heavy great coats and the young ones in yellow parkas and brightly coloured beanies netting mullet out of the surf. They may have been standing around on the shore for hours or even days, waiting for just that right moment. 
People appear from everywhere to watch and help as the great weight of netted fish is hauled onto the beach. A great mass of flicking, fat-bellied, silver-blue creatures. It is sad that all those beautiful lives have to be lost to the sea. The whole happening, repeated afresh each season, is so spectacular and dramatic. Before white men arrived here, sea mullet was caught in a very different way. Men would beat the water with their spears, then dolphins would appear and drive schools of fish into the shallow water, where the men could reach them. After the catch, both men and dolphin would share. No harm came to the dolphins because they worked together. I like that story, don't you? Are there any mullet in the sea in Spain? Love and kisses from Abuela. P.S. I hope you like my drawing of a mullet. Writing that letter to her young ones made the old woman of the sea feel a lot better, and she returned to her thinking with renewed spirits. My next story, from home this time, is as grim as one from the Brothers Grimm. Is it a tale of being burnt alive? Innocent lives lost? Who could imagine, let alone contemplate, the waste of burning fresh, unpolluted rock oysters to, wait for it, to make mortar for laying bricks across Brisbane? Mortar was in high demand to build the bustling Brisbane town. Nothing was too good for such a noble sentiment. Could you imagine the settlers' delight when they stumbled across huge stacks of empty shells left over from earlier feasts, which needed only to be fed into the lime kilns and burnt to make mortar? And their subsequent disappointment when industrious builders demanded that the flesh of the oysters be included as well. It gives a certain body to the mixture. If anyone was worried by this improvidence, there is no record of it. After all, it was commonly thought that there were plenty more oysters where those came from. Like everything from the sea, men simply thought resources were bountiful, if not unlimited. When Alexander Archer crossed Pummerstone Passage in 1865, he reported in his journal... And as for the oysters, I never saw anything like it. This day we saw something like a reef or rock about three feet out of the water and 300 yards long. On pulling up to see what it was, we found it to be a huge and apparently solid bed of oysters, big enough to load several large ships. Since that time, and for much, much later, the passages of Pummerstone and Moreton Bay supplied most of the oysters sold on the Sydney and Melbourne markets. I weep for you, the walrus said. I deeply sympathise. With sobs and tears he sorted out those of the largest size. Holding his pocket handkerchief before his streaming eyes. Oh, oysters, said the carpenter, you've had a pleasant run. Shall we be trotting home again? But answer came there none. And this was scarcely odd because they'd eaten. Everyone. That was how we began to treat our resource-rich estuaries, setting a precedent that has become traditional, treating Gaia, our Earth Mother, as if she were the village whore. It is all that sand that is so seductive. 
it is golden sand indeed, for it is worth its weight in gold. The tycoon and the counsellor, like the walrus and the carpenter, were walking close at hand. They wept like anything to see such quantities of sand. If this were only cleared away, they said, it would be grand. Grand indeed. There is enough to sell to make sand and gravel merchants happy. Abundant stocks for the concrete trade. Sand to fill all the coastal wetlands. Genuine water frontage prime real estate. The popular view of the time was that sand was an abundant and infinite supply. Is the sand really infinite? What a silly question. Look, the ocean is full of it and the tide's delivered in spades straight onto our doorstep. This truly is the lucky country. Harvesting sand costs nothing to us. Well, not to our generation anyway. However, Professor Bruce Tom of the University of New South Wales told the House of Representatives Standing Committee on Environment and Conservation Coastal Management Inquiry that... So along our coast, particularly the Victorian, New South Wales and Southern Queensland coast over the last 1,000 years, there has been relatively little sand available to restore our beaches after any erosional event that might have a degradation or destructive impact on the coast. There is just not the sand available. The sand has already been swept onto the land to form the beaches and dunes that are there to be eroded. Thank you, Professor Tom. You have been most helpful. Come on, all together now. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. Ironically, opposition from a most surprising quarter, a division of the Institute of Biological Resources. You must also bear in mind that construction sand has to be obtained from somewhere, and perhaps the sea is the visually least offensive source. Knowing that the estuaries are important to fish, two questions we might then be asked. How do fish use them? And how dependent are our fisheries on them? The first of these questions can be answered fairly simply. Estuaries provide essential food and shelter for large numbers of economically important fish species, particularly during the juvenile stage of their life. Two of the most productive areas of an estuary are the seagrass beds and mangrove swamps. Biologists agree that if those areas were destroyed, coastal game and food fish would persist but their population would certainly be reduced to a small fraction of their present level. The old woman remembered when the seagrass beds of Pummerstone Passage were disappearing, simply dying out. The seagrass beds also contribute greatly to the scenery of the waterways. The life inhabiting them provides food not only for the little fish, but the spectacular birds as well. The richer the seabeds are, the greater the area is for flocks of large birds like swans, chestnut teal, egrets, herons, tilts, spoonbills and the stately jabiroo and the multitude of migratory waders. White bird in the weed is framed by the dark mangroves 
to make a fine scene. Come all ye bold fishermen, listen to me. I'll sing you a song of the fish of the sea. So blow ye winds westerly, westerly blow. We're bound to the Southland, so steady we go. Then comes a porpoise with his short snout. He jumps on the bridge and yells, ready about. So blow ye winds westerly, westerly blow. We're bound to the southward, so steady we go. This podcast series was produced by the Sunshine Coast Council Heritage Library with the support of a strategic priority grant from the State Library of Queensland. This series was produced in 2022 and may not be reproduced for any commercial or non-commercial interest.